Welcome to Mass Liberation Radio on KWNK 97.7 FM. I'm Kaylee. I'm Lily. And I'm Nathaniel. I'm back. Woohoo! Reunited and it feels so good. <laughs> and we're joined by our guests, a very special guest today. Um, would you like yes. to introduce yourself? Yes, yes. Are you with us, Yesenia? Hi. Hi. I'm here. We are here with Yesenia Moya. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm uh, Yesenia Moya, an organizer with Mass Lift down here in Vegas. Thank y'all for having me. Thank you for coming. I've been really wanting, I've been really looking forward to talking with you. And I already know you, uh, and that's awesome. <laughs> yes, love you, Nathaniel. Yeah, and I can't wait to hear your story and learn more. Thank y'all. This is exciting. <laughs> yeah, so the last, one of the last calls, you were kind enough to share your story, and I thought it was um, just covered so many different systemic failures and touches on so many things that I'm sure a lot of people don't think about. Um, would you kind of like to tell us like where you're from and uh, yeah. take it from there? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, I always feel like that's such a loaded question. Um, something I've always been asked, right? Like when people are like, oh, where are you from? Or like, where's your hometown? And I'm just like, uh, well, I don't know exactly what you want to know. Um, and so it's, you know, I was born in Mexico. I'm from Chihuahua. Um, and I came to the U.S. when I was three years old. And I grew up undocumented between here in Las Vegas and in Nebraska. And so I grew up around a lot of whiteness. I grew up around a lot of, like, a lot of violence, a lot of racism. Um, And just, like, learning at a very young age. I think this is the one story that I shared um, with Massive was, you know, I learned at four years old, you don't call the cops. And so, like... One of the main things, like being undocumented, is like the only persons, the only people you have are yourselves and like your family members. And so, like for me growing up, I really didn't have any other support system and didn't wasn't able to reach out to anybody, didn't have any kind of voice really other than inside the four walls of my home, whatever that was. Um, and so it was kind of, it was a very isolating um it was kind of, it was very isolating, but at the same time, like, it just gave me a lot of strength. Um, and something I've really been focusing on lately is resiliency. Um, and I think, like, a lot of folks are trying to teach that, right? Like, we hear this buzzword, like, oh, we're trying to teach resiliency to our kids in school. And it's like, I don't think it's even that. Honestly, I believe that we are resilient despite what happens to us. And that comes from, like, you know, centuries of um just our ancestors fighting back Mm -hmm. so it's i have been blessed to be and have particular opportunities um now because in 2016 i was able to get my citizenship uh coincidentally one month before donald trump got into office and that was really kind of like the catalyst for me Um, because I mean, it took me almost eight years and around $10,000 to get my citizenship after being married, 
Mm-hmm. And being in a less than healthy relationship. Um, but it was such a relief that uh, when I spoke, I I mean, they asked they asked if anybody wanted to volunteer to say anything. And, you know, me, I was just like, hell yeah, I want to say something. I'm, I'm, I have a speech ready. I'm ready to go. <laughs> but emotion just kind of overtook me. And I was just crying, like just ugly, straight up crying. There's like muffles everywhere, like snot everywhere. <laughs> and I was just like the only thing I could say is like, now we can vote, please go out and vote. And it's just like, I paid for that. And that, like, I paid for that with blood, sweat and tears. And real fee, you know? Uh, $10,000. Yeah. Yeah. And $10,000. Right. And like, it's just been a ride. Um, I've been lucky now to be with Mass Live because um, I've been I've embraced that side of myself that is the impacted person. Um, a lot of the times I've told my story, but in a way that isn't my story, uh, it's been mm-hmm. commodified and used for campaigns, um, for organizing, for other um, and that happens to a lot of us when we're like thrust into the nonprofit world, right? Into the campaign election world, like they're you they're used to just tokenizing us and taking our stories and they they've learned how to make that into money and votes, you know? And so being with Mass Lab, um, it's been it's it has pushed me to like talk about myself and my story and really focus on my healing. Um, not just re-traumatizing myself and just, you know, going out there and being the token. Because uh, even though I thought I was using them, like, they were still using me. And so, like, you know, I've, I've been really, really lucky that the kind of organizing that I started, that, you know, I was taught at first is, like, hella grassroots. Um, and so I'm just I'm just really lucky to be in spaces with, like, real impacted people that understand that no, like we don't know everything. We are not the beacons of all knowledge. We're learning this as we go. Um, but at the same time, like building new structures and rebuilding the world. Um, there was something a friend of mine said to me that sticks with me and it's something that brightens up my days. And this is a shout out to Carmela Gadsden. She hey. told me that, right. <laughs> she told me, we're constructing a world that, you know, she said, you're, constru- you're constructing a world that you don't live in yet. Mm-hmm. Um, that we don't live in yet. Like, you live in that world. And that's the world that we're building. And so it's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel yucky and sad, you know, sometimes. because, And we're going to be frustrated because that's the world that we live in, right? We live in a world that doesn't exist yet. And so... It's just, I just feel blessed to be in the space of folks that live in that world and are trying to make that world come true. Because it's so isolating. Uh, I got into this work because, um, and this is something that, you know, I've been processing lately too, that uh, I got into this work because Donald Trump was saying what the rest of society had been saying about Mexicans my whole life. So my entire life growing up, I would see movies like, my family movies like Blood In, Blood Out, like um, American Me, 
right? And what was the story of Mexicans in this country? Or Chicanos or Mexican Americans were drug dealers, were rapists, were murderers, were gangbangers, or we're all domestic laborers, or we're all like landscapers or construction workers. So either we're here for our labor or we're lazy, lazy criminals. And that's the story that society tried to tell me my whole life. But now to have it like shown back in my face with Donald Trump, like saying Mexicans are murderers, rapists, and drug dealers, like, and nobody's saying anything was that mm-hmm. catalyst for me where I was just like, nobody's saying shit. I'm in this Bible study that everybody supposedly loves me at. The church is saying we can't talk about Donald Trump, even though he's actively coming out against me, my friends, and my family. But you're saying he is not talking about me? Like, it made me realize, like, a lot of us felt that way and feel a lot of that way, especially impacted people. And that's why I feel like mass liberation is one of those places that empowers impacted people to take initiative to our own hands because, right. honestly, like, they've commodified it and, and, put, and industrialized it it's so bad. <laughs> They're not doing anything but money and a name for themselves, you know? So... Thank y'all. I'm just like, it's hard. It's hard for me to like say my story, but um, it's been a lot. And there's just so many different ways uh, that the system fails us on a on a daily basis. That unfortunately, like I've seen either myself or family members or my friends or other loved ones like have issues with. And it was, you know, everything from education to just simple things like my father having to change his name because other people couldn't say his name. And that's the only way that anybody would respect him at work. Like they started. So, his name that happens so huh. much here. And I, I notice that a lot when somebody, somebody will say their name and the other person will try and then they'll say, I'm just going to call you this. And they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you don't get to, you can't do that. Yep, that's been me my whole life. Like, for a long time, I was just like, oh, whatever. Like, people just can't say Yesenia. But, like, once I became an, an English major, I was like, mm-hmm. no, it's Yesenia. No break in the diphthong at the end. So please say it right. And I'll sit there and I'll, like, correct them over and over and over and over again until they feel stupid. Um, but I feel like that's a superpower now because if I let them disrespect my name, then that's mm-hmm. just, like, what more can they take, you know, and that it's just so much. It was just been so much. And I'm just so grateful to just be where I'm at, like embracing that side that I don't know a lot, but I'm here and I'm trying. Um, that honestly has helped me heal so much and just, it keeps me in the work. So I'm just happy to be here. We're really happy to have you. And I think that, I mean, I definitely am familiar with not. I don't tell. I tell my child not to call the police. We call. We talk about it often. What what the alternatives to calling the police are, and what the alternatives to our reality um, are. And I feel like we are we are more creative and less lazy than the people who are just mm. accepting policing in this this world that they are in. Right. I'm just like, the the person that I call when something happens to me is my mom, period. My car breaks down, I call my mom. I hurt myself, I call my mom. I go to the hospital, I call my mom. Like, something breaks, I call my mom. Um, that, 
like that was my community and now fortunately it's like expanded where like if i get pulled over it's not just my mom that i'm calling now like i have other folks that i can call in the moment and it's just like i've never trusted cops cops don't do anything but like take people away from you Mm -hmm. um in very many different ways and like everything from deportation to being slain on the street it's all like state sanctioned right and so who do you you can't trust you can't trust cps you can't trust any government agency you can barely trust like welfare or WIC with any of your information like as soon as you tell them that you're a full-time student or they're like oh you're you have the privilege to be a full-time student nope sorry you can't get no food stamps like policing is ingrained Mm -hmm. in our society and that's how they keep us in check we police each other so like what is the root of the problem everybody just want to call wants to call the cops and nobody wants to take personal accountability or responsibility but we can't because we're constantly trying to survive yeah we have to survive with new ways of doing things i think it's awesome that the first person that you think of when you need help or when something happens to you is probably the person who has the most love for you in the, in your life, your mom. Um, like what if we approached, what if we approached public safety and, or just living in community with a whole bunch of people that we don't know with kind of that same ethos? Like what if we approached p- people with love and, and always showed our concern instead of calling in like violence workers to solve an issue or, or, an, or a problem that's, that we're dealing with. Um, but it's a, it's a huge industry. I just, I'm just learning how my mom, she has a knack of calling the police on people. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's probably cause she doesn't have the most experience with like conflict negotiation and talking things out. And she resorts to like a trauma, a trauma reaction of just calling the cops as, as they have been called on her. It's like fascinating that you knew from such a young age that you should probably find out something else to do besides calling the cops. Um. Yeah, I mean, I remember the one and only time that I called the cops. Um, I was just, my mom grabbed the phone right in the middle of it, hung it up, and she was so mad at me, and I didn't know what was going on. And I remember her and my dad kind of trying to figure out whether what would happen if the cops came. They did come. They were able to talk their way out of it, which I had, like, thankfully, I think they spoke Spanish. Mm. But they were able to, like, get it all fixed, right? And, like, nothing happened that night. But that's that's the night that I learned. Like, they sat me down and said, you call the cops, and they could separate all of us. They'll take us back to Mexico, and they'll take you and your sisters. And I remember watching on TV, like, and I, when I grew up in Nebraska, you hear the raids all the time. And I thanked God every day that my parents didn't work at the meatpacking plants, because that's where everybody got picked up. Everybody got picked up all the time at the meatpacking plant. So it was just like, every once in a while, you'd, you'd hear about a family that would no longer go to church. You'd see like kids that end up staying with other family members you'd see a kid not come to class anymore. And it was noticeable because there was just a small group of like Latinx people in Mm -hmm. Nebraska. 
So you could always tell, and you could always see, like, on the news, like, oh, man, they got 200 parents today. And then you see, like, the kids lined up. And you're just thinking, like, that could be me. So you never call the cops. You don't ever talk to anybody outside of your family. And my parent, my dad, this conversation is something that still sticks to me to this day. Because I had asked if I could go to a sleepover. And they were so scared. Mm. They were so scared that I would say something. And I was the only one in my family that knew that we were undocumented. And so they laid it out for me. And they told me, well, they told me what's up. And they said, anybody from that door to the outside is not your friend. Only from that doorway this way. These people are your friends. These people you can trust. These people are going to have your back. They're the only ones that know. And so it was just me, my sisters, and my parents. My sisters, like, they were able to have a little bit more leniency because they weren't as bullied as I was. And so, like, they had friends and stuff, but I really didn't. I was very, like, I was very afraid. I was very afraid of messing up. I was very afraid of, like, getting bad grades, afraid of getting in trouble. And so I was always a teacher's pet. I, uh, whatever the teacher wanted, like, that's what I would do. If the teacher said all the rules are this, this, and this, and this, that's what you followed. And I didn't get in trouble, and I would get A's. But also, like, I never got an opportunity to, like, do what I wanted to do. Like, I remember having such good grades, but because I was in special, like, in, according to them, being an English language learner, like, I learned English second. To them, I was in special education classes. Therefore, that's just, like, disqualified me from going to any other gifted programs. Mm. Um, and it took, like, a calculate, like, uh, sorry, a chemistry, not a chemistry, a biology teacher to say, you need to be in AP chemistry. I don't know what you're doing in this, like, remedial <laughs> biology class. You shouldn't be here. And it took him fighting for me. It took somebody fighting for me that was part of the system for me to stop being trapped in a system within the system and it's just mm -hmm. like the the violence even kids suffer at, in school like we're taught already how to be in prison right but we're also like the violence is already taught in us that adults can just do whatever the hell they want we have to listen they used to put a pencil in my mouth to correct my uh my accent because my, I would roll my R's too much. And so I would have wow. to have a pencil in my mouth all, all day to speak so that I could enunciate. I just wanted to say um, thank you for uh, reliving your trauma for mm -hmm. us and our listeners. Um, I, I absolutely agree with you. We need to build beyond um, calling the police and build a community so we have we can lean on each other. Um, mm -hmm. I love that you said that there's different levels uh, in the system that um, oppress uh, black and brown people. Um, I re was recently um, having a conversation um, with somebody about how um, it's really messed up that 911, like when you need a, like a medical, uh, you're calling for a medical situation. That's also the number for the cops. And sometimes the cops show up and a lot of people don't know to say medic. And so the cops show up and said, you know, it really should be separate 911 for there should be a different number for cops and for EMTs and paramedics. I completely agree. And honestly, I have seen the level of 
I mean, the level of training that firefighters and paramedics get, like, they should be handling these calls. And it's, it's so hard. A few times I've had to get, I've successfully gotten paramedics and firefighters instead. And it is so difficult. It takes a very long time. You have to like spell it out for them. Be like, the person that is there is mentally ill and receiving or having a crisis and will Mm -hmm. absolutely harm themselves if a police officer shows up. So please only send this person. And I'm pretty sure you have to get like an impacted operator to finally let, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, because they're they're like, well, we can't do that. It's like, well, they can't, they're not going to do anything. We were, this is kind of on a lighter note, but just now on my street, there was a piano and I went up to, I pulled over, I went up to it and somebody yelled from the balcony, the cops are on their way. Because <laughs> somebody was pushing a piano down the street. I'm like, oh my God, you had to call the cops? Like, just we're so, it's such a lazy thing. It's like when you're when you're um, at a hotel, you'll do mm-hmm. like, you'll call the front desk for a bunch of stuff that you would totally do by yourself if you weren't on vacation. Yeah. It's like people are just on autopilot. Like, I'm just going to call the cops. Oh, room service, mm-hmm. can you please mm-hmm. bring me some water? Like, you can walk back there. It's not hard, some water. But when you're on vacation, you're going to order the food to your bed. Like, <laughs> that's like how lazy it is, you know, instead of just, uh, trying to know each other. That's the other thing. Like, you don't know your neighbors and your neighborhood. And if you do, and you know that nobody's calling the cops, uh, then you can work together. But it seems like those neighborhoods are the most policed anyway. <laughs> right. Whenever I'm just like thinking. Them, they're always there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a... I live in one of, one of the one of those hot zones, one of the zip codes that, you know, get consistently stopped mm-hmm. with traffic tickets. Um, and so, like, leaving out my door is literally the, the most nerve-wracking thing. I don't, get com- I don't get comfortable until I'm on the freeway, and even then, I'm still freaking out because of highway patrol. Um, Same. And I'm, I hate like, it. <laughs> every, like, all my tickets are paid That's off. Trauma. Like, done. Everything's straight, right? My license plates are good. Everything's straight. And I was on the freeway yesterday. I pulled over to help somebody jump their car. And here comes Highway Patrol flashing their damn lights right behind me. And I, I'm like, oh, God. I'm, like, taking out the keys out of my car. And I'm just, like, scrambling. I'm like, I got to get out of this car. Like, and my heart just started beating out my chest. Oh, no. And he just comes up and he's like, oh, do y'all need help? And I was like, what? I was like, no, we got it. And I'm just like looking at him like with the weirdest, like the most confused look in my face. Like, no, we don't. You're out. Help? What? And in my head, I'm just like, he just pulled over to scan my plates. That's all I can think of. Like, he just pulled over to scan my plates. Like, that's all. It just sucks because what if he really was there to help? Which I, I got it. But like that's the trauma. Every single day, folks in this area and folks all across town and black and brown folks everywhere just fear yeah. those damn red and blue lights. And then these cop cars are starting to become even more like high tech, right? And more incognito. I think the new highway patrol cars have those uh, iridescent like police on the sides that you can't tell that says police up until they're like like right up next to you 
And so they look like just like the regular SUVs up until they pull up next to you or up until the lights are on. Yeah, we have those, and they have the lights on the inside of the dash, so you can't see it. And they'll just like they look exactly like a regular car. Like there is no way. Some of them have no no labels at all, and they're just lights on in the inside. Mm -hmm. Like cool. Thanks. I'm glad y'all. I'm glad y'all were were okay though. Um, when you pulled over that that person, and when the highway patrol showed up, you know, unrequested. Like out of nowhere, and I think the way you said that you felt and like the confusion and and whatnot. I mean, that's totally normal. Most of the interactions that we have with police are not because they're there to help. It's because they're right. they're there to punish or to surveil or to observe or or oftentimes to hurt us. Like those, the that's the most frequent type of experiences we have with police. Whereas other folks, like they are used to police being that helpful person because they're not there to do something to their community. I think there was a common thread between what you were saying, Yesenia, and what Lilith was saying, and Kaylee was saying that when and at four years old, the police to you, they represented someone that would that made people disappear or that took people away. And Lilith was just talking about how like we call police to when we want something removed. Or like mm-hmm. when we don't, when something is bothering us and we like don't want to deal with it and don't mm-hmm. and just want like an easy, quick, like instant solution to this alleged problem, which is such mm-hmm. a consum- which is such a consumerist thing we do too. But like that's always a negative thing. If that's what the police are going to do, remove someone either by locking them up, putting in the cop car, killing them, like, or some other ways rendering this thing, whether it, or this nuisance um oftentimes it's a poor person or an unhoused person or a a black kid or just (laughs) or somebody living their life yes folks with substance abuse or you know folks with um experiencing mental health crises yeah we just want to remove them like what does that say about us as well we know what it says about us as a society um but (laughs) that's just like the common thread that I'm hearing um, throughout this whole conversation. I, I was wondering, right. oh, go ahead. And then I want to ask you I, something. I was just going to say, it's like, I agree with Lily. It's just so lazy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, I connected back to what I was saying. Like, nobody just, it's just hard. And it's hard to take personal accountability for or responsibility for your neighbor when you're trying to survive, right? But that, like, we know how to fix that. So, like, why aren't we? Oh, because people are greedy. Excuse my language. <laughs> but go ahead. Um, I was curious if you would talk more about, um, more about your activism and how, like, your back, maybe how your background relates to it or, like, the social conditions of your life, how that, how that relates and impacts where your work and where you move and who you do the work you do with because we have to be precious with our time and like energy that we're willing to give um in abolition movements or whatnot but or like what does mass live or another way to think about this question is what does mass live mean to you personally like how has mass live impacted your life or do you see it impacting people's lives yeah i think it goes back to what i said earlier like 
first of all, Massive has given me the opportunity and the space to be an impacted person who is mm -hmm. an organizer. Everywhere else, I've had to be a be like a, a token. I had to stand up for the entire like Latinx community, which is like hundreds of countries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what mm -hmm. the hell, you know? And and just so, so viewers know, you were you were with before Mass Live. Who you, were you kind of organizing, working for? So uh, before I worked with the Nevada State Democratic Party, um, I worked with them, with them through the caucus and through the general election. Um, and it was so hard, mainly. And the biggest reason why I stayed was because I couldn't find a job anywhere else. And I really wanted to get Trump out of office. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, yeah. I couldn't, I mean... Even after the elections, I was still, I was kind of blackballed because, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not very quiet. Um, I was, I was there every Friday during every state meeting, like asking, is this going to be in Spanish? Is this going to be bilingual? Like, is mm. this going to happen? Is this, you know, to the point where like, I was, I was should. silent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you. <laughs> like these people were silencing me. They were actively ignoring me in chats like skipping over my questions in signal or during zoom meetings and like nobody said anything they moved me from my regular team they took my volunteers took all of my leads like to the point where like one of the directors came and was trying to told me that if i had any comments concerns or questions about the candidate biden that i could only talk to her or my immediate supervisor, which they were in cahoots trying to get me fired two months before the election, like before November. Um, all because I was dissent, because I would mm. speak the truth. And the what mass liberation has done is given me the space to speak my truth. Something that I've been trying to do since 2016. Um, my entire life, I've shut up I've done what society told me to do so that I could stay safe, so that my family would be safe, so that nobody I loved would get taken away from me. And I spent so many years like being silent, like turning the other cheek, allowing, you know, racist to be racist to my family, to my face. And it's just like, when I got those nine little digits, those nine little magical numbers, they could no longer do anything to me, right? And since then, I've been looking for a place where I could, where I could be and be feel like feel empowered to do something mm -hmm. about about what's really happening. And I feel like I've always had this internal struggle between like surviving, you know, trying to make some kind of money so that I can live in this capitalist ass society. Right. And do the work that I know is necessary because like I posted today on Facebook that like real community work comes from the need of the people. Right. And a lot of this organizational work comes from the ego of the, the, of mm -hmm. the savior. Right. And at this moment, what Massive has done is given us the power, given like people that have been like to jail that have had loved ones taken away mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by state violence. Like it gives us a space to do the real work 
while helping us survive and heal. I've never had that. I've I've never had that. Like, and I feel like sharing sharing my traumatic some of the traumatic stuff today wasn't as bad as it's been in the past because mass lib has made me feel so powerful. And it wasn't just mass lib, like it's the people. And what I mean the people is the community. I've been able to grow into my own. You know, I just turned 32 on the 25th. And happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you, thank you. Um, and I feel I feel like I'm finally in a in a space where I'm just like, okay, this is what I'm good at. I am I am damn good at talking to people and seeing what they need and helping them figure it out. I am damn good at connecting people to resources and I am damn loud. <laughs> and what can I do with all that? Like people were so afraid. People were, were afraid of me because of my like social media. A pers- I get people think it's a persona, but it's just me, you know? Um, I'm going to speak truth to power and I'm going to push back. If you're not constantly, consistently pushing back on power structures, are you really doing the work? Like when you get into a position of power and you're not pushing yourself and critiquing yourself and critiquing others in power because now you're in power, like you're just becoming part of the system. So I've never been one of those folks and I've always challenged and, but I've always prefaced it. I've always prefaced it by saying like, all of my conversations are yes. And like, yes, you're doing this great and we can be better. Yes, I know that you apologize for being a racist in the back, but, and you can be better. You know, like, it's that accountability piece. I'm so glad that you're saying that because um, uh, we have a huge problem on that. With that in Washoe County, I believe, um, like you said, like, uh, we have to be against Republicans, get uh, get Donald Trump out. But at the same time, we need to be critical of the Democratic Party because uh, they're not always here for us either. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that really stuck out uh, for me, I believe it was in, I can't remember what election it was. It was a few years back. Um, someone was uh, running against Amadeus. His name was uh, Clint Colby. And during his speech, uh, during the Washington County Convention, um, mm-hmm. he said, uh, we got enough immigrants in this town to win this thing in front of a whole room of Democrats. And after his speech, like a lot of people cheered. And like there's so many candidates that were problematic and um, were racist, but um, the Democratic Party stood by them because they all they cared about was getting um, the Republican out and not finding a quality candidate um, who stood by those values. And a lot of the times, and... I love that you pointed that out too, because who was the mayor of North Las Vegas just a few months ago? A Democrat. What did he just do? Flip over to Change GOP. Mm-hmm. We know he's been a Republican this whole time. Like something that not something that I didn't know and mm-hmm. that I I assume would be like common knowledge to folks, but it isn't. And I only learned this in campaign world was that 
these candidates, like, you don't even have to want, like, you don't even have to believe in the ideals or any of your past. There's no vetting process. You're just like, oh, people in this neighborhood, oh, yeah, that's a sure win. I can beat, I can beat that person because there's more white people in this one. Or I can beat them more because there's more mm-hmm. black people in this one and I can do this. Cool. I'm going to be a Democrat in this neighborhood. They move across, they move across mm-hmm. the country because they can win in a neighborhood. It's And they don't even know this damn community. Exactly. I like that. I I always want to point out that being a Democrat does not mean you're not a white supremacist. (laughs) And it does not excuse you from your flagrant participation in in white supremacy. And I think that people get really confused about that. They're like, you know, uh, there's Mm -hmm. that line in Get Out that I thought, oh, it sticks in my mind all the time that, oh, my parents would have, they love you. They would have voted for Obama a second time. And that that right there is the problem right like mm-hmm. it's like oh well you know i i voted for obama so i'm not a racist like okay like maybe you're not riding with a white hood in the forest lynching people but you certainly maybe. are a white supremacist like and, and it's weird how people can hide behind being a democrat as if yes. that excuses you from racism because i think one of the some of the most frustrating encounters i've had with white supremacy are democrats or white or democrats. democrats mainly white female democrats Mm. Holla, y'all yes. are annoying. <laughs> and like I can't. It's so it's so irritating. And it, it's well, I wanted to go back though. Um something about you, it reminds me of like uh, a lot of really great thinkers and um truth speakers have had a period of not speaking or feeling like they could speak. And then when they finally did, they made such an impact. And Maya Angelou is like one of my favorite examples of that. She was, people thought that she was autistic, right? And that she couldn't, uh, she did not speak for the first six years of her life. And, and, and then spoke more than any, you know, possibly any living person um, afterwards. And I just think that it's really important uh, people, you you have a kind of a similar experience where like just because you couldn't speak in the beginning doesn't mean that you don't have you you can't double triple the effectiveness of what you have to say now that you can say mm. it, and it's it's really speaks to the mediocrity of whiteness that somebody that has to go through so much trauma and pay for it Mm -hmm. still looks out for their community members. Meanwhile, there are people who have never suffered who can't Mm -hmm. look next door at their community members. And it's just so mediocre and again, lazy to not take care of other people when you didn't even have to suffer for the freedoms that you have or suffer to feel safer on the police or, you know, go to school or mm-hmm. have friends and be honest, tell your teacher something happened at home or right. anything like that. And then you're still not going to help the community. And I think that's so weird how it it's like it you are, we are all absolutely the experts of our experience. And if nothing should be, you know, passed or talked about without those experts, it should be the complete opposite people making the rules about these communities that need so many things. And that's all we're asking for, right? And that's that big scare that white supremacy is always trying to put out there, that we're just trying to take over their, you know, that we're going to basically do what they've been doing to us, right? Like, that's that big scary thought and idea, and they don't recognize that they're lost in their own life, like, in their own cage. White supremacy, like, 
in cages white folks in the mm-hmm. most severest ways. That's why we have so many mass shootings because these white males that are mediocre are not living up to the potential and this entitlement like ideal of what a white man should be in this country. So then they take it out on everybody else. Right. I mean, and it's we've, like, we've created a hellscape for everyone, basically. Wow. <laughs> you know, any, yeah. any, I always talk about how, why, like, I can't believe there are no women of color mass shooters because, like, we <laughs> we are pissed all the time about stuff and never right? always I'm... seem to not be able to do it. I'm like, wow, if a, if a white guy that hadn't been laid had experienced my life for one day, there would be a lot more mass shootings. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're very sensitive. That. It's like, any it, this little tiny thing can set you off, like, really like please come please like come take my life for a second come and fear my fish for a second like i just don't it's it's unnecessary right but we know that we know like the communities that we've come from and unfortunately because of assimilation and because of violence like assimilation is violent Mm -hmm. and assimilation into whiteness doesn't mean like you're you can change your skin color but that does mean that if you align yourself with white supremacy, like there are privileges that come with that. And it's so like, if you are caught up between a rock and a hard place, a lot of folks are going to fold because of that laziness. And because a lot of folks don't have like, don't have that community. But if we can empower each other and we tell each other, Hey, like you're not alone. We feel the same. We're saying literally the same thing. Like, how about me and you do something? And that's two people that can invite five other people. Like, they can invite five other people. And that's how we take back our community. Street by street, house by house. Mm. You know, like those midnight meetings at three o'clock in the morning and you're just like, okay, did we get, do we have the food? Do we have something for the kids? Like, who can take care of the kids stuff? That kind of organizing, that is what's going to save us. We just need to invest in us. And believe in ourselves and do, just a little bit more. <laughs> and do you feel like you have those people around that you can you can be in such com- a relationship and community with at that level? Like you're saying, middle of the night, important conversation. Like you have you identify those people, and you feel like the, you feel like you can reach out to them whenever you need to. And do you think other folks? I- do we all, like, I'm curious for y'all as well. Do you feel like you're in that type of relationship with people around you? Um, or what makes it hard to, how do we find that I, type of community if we don't have it? I think for me, I, I've been blessed. Um, I've had, I've had so many mentors in my life that recently have also like continue to push me and helped me to network and pushed outside of my own like limits that I can tell you if I go to any state in this country, I have, I have a floor to sleep on and a couch to lay my head on because that's community. And we all can tap into that, you know, like we're all family because I can, I can tell you any one of y'all can come and crash on my bed. I know. I think before we had even said more than 10 words to each other, I was like, oh, word, come sleep at my house. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all come up like, right now. Party. Right. It's, and it's, 
it's not it's not anything that other people don't do. Like that's where the class comes into it, right? Um, people, you know, mm-hmm. rich people that don't like each other go vacation at each other's houses all the time. <laughs> we actually like each other, so we have an advantage. Mm-hmm. We actually respect and like each other. We don't, you know, uh, throw mm-hmm. each other under the bus. We're not competing. We're actually building and working together. Um, and I think, right. yeah, and, it, and if it's okay to gently point out um, and gently invite folks into that space, because sometimes people just don't know what to do, you know. But I, I think that you can go from being like, I have clothes in my car. Can you come pick them up and then distribute them to somebody? To someone being like, I'm gonna come meet you and help you do this thing. But you, you know, people need a little guidance mm-hmm. sometimes. But I think that we're building that um, here, and I feel like that is where we always end up on our like on our interviews is everybody has yes. that's the common thread is we're like we have each other and it's going to be okay we're going to be okay <laughs> mm-hmm. i like every time that i think about the community that um has embraced me and all the different communities that have embraced me i just feel so lucky and it just it reminds me again of that space that world that we want that we actively live in that we're trying to bring into this world like i'm running out of breath because that is what keeps me going every day and knowing that it's coming whether Mm -hmm. or not like we get to see it in our lifetime like this is work that has been built upon and built upon and built upon and we've been fighting for so many years and I know it seems like we're getting nowhere, but we are. And like people are, or more people are waking up just because domination is happening. And like right. whiteness is starting to crack. And this Again. idea, that, yeah, like this fake, this, this fake construct is starting to break and people are starting to see. And I would love to see more communities like, you know, I always bring up Los Zapatistas, but that's, you know, that's that's the organizing that I come from. Like, wow, that's mm-hmm. what I learned, you know, like take out taking out the state. Like that was that was mm-hmm. my introduction into the work um, on the ground, like mutual aid, um, like no more, no more death, no mas muertes on uh, in Arizona and in Texas where they do water drop offs and have like actual first aid like campsites set up for undocumented folks on the trails in the Sonoda Desert. And like, even though a lot of them are just like, they're white folks that have, that can go and volunteer in the summers and, you know, volunteer their hours and their time, like that, all of that counts too. Yeah, and good they should be. If they would all do that for everybody, if every yes. white person would do that, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. We wouldn't have a show. Our show would be about lucky terms. Like, <laughs> right, I would love to. Can we have a, an entire like podcast about cereal and just live for once? Like, that's what I, that's what we were saying that we were gonna make uh, the other night. Our friend was joking; she was gonna make uh, Natalie. We, I think I don't know if there's been a show we haven't mentioned Natalie yeah. <laughs> um, oh. that they were gonna make. Uh, posters uh you know saying the next event and it would be like if you live in a cul-de-sac like you actually have to protest all summer and we're taking your pool boys (laughs) and we're (laughs) moving into your house and eating chips and drinking your wine all summer and playing with our kids while you go and give mutual aid and protest and get arrested because uh, you know that's yeah. that's that's what it's gonna take, and I think that's the thing is like so many 
so many people will be like, oh, like, thank you so much for doing whatever it is. And you're like, yeah, you should also do it. Mm-hmm. And right? You Join can thank yourself after and pat yourself on the do whatever. Like, you're welcome. You can show gratitude mm-hmm. by also doing a thing. Mm-hmm. We don't want yep. you to thank us and be proud. We want you to do it. Internalize it, right? We're modeling right. behavior. Right, right, right. Right. And it's like, it doesn't make sense to folks. We're just like, what? You, why? I just, I don't get it. And like, yeah, come and do this thing with me. <laughs> and they're like, huh? Um, no, I'm okay. Like, no, just. Oh man! If anything, I've learned in like nonprofit world was how to how to keep asking. Yeah. Like, and I learned that in retail too. So retail set me up to be a community organizer. Pretty pretty damn good, man. I'm just ready. Like I'm ready to go up there to the north and you know, it up. <laughs> you can bleep all that out, but um. This space that has been created is an amazing space. And it's the first time that I've ever felt like really comfortable to be myself. Because, yes. I mean, in every other space, they honestly, these white people were afraid of me. And I'm just like, what? Like, they were legit afraid of me. They thought I was some like gangbanger, like with from the hood. No, I just no, don't know. they were afraid because your your brilliance point shines a light <laughs> on their mediocrity. That's all it is. The fact exactly. that there are people like all of us in these white spaces sometimes shine a light on how much they don't they are are not you know having to do backflips to be where they are, and it, it does it reflects poorly upon them. <laughs> And they'll they'll dress that up however they want to, but they're afraid that you're making them look bad because they're not spectacular in any way. And you not only are in the same position, but you had about 4,000 more setbacks to be in that position Mm -hmm. and are handling Mm -hmm. it probably with with grace and enthusiasm, if there's anything that I've learned about you so far. Thank you. I appreciate that. I do. I mean, I was very, very angry for a very long time, and I still am. And it, it used to come out all the time in just the way that I talk. And I am thankful for the for my time with the with the Dems because it actually showed me how to like work with people, how to do conflict resolution. Because I had to work with these folks. Like I, I needed this job, and so there were people in the space with me who believed I mean there was somebody that voted for Donald Trump before and then there was somebody who was a hella moderate almost conservative loved Biden and Biden is we a had, Republican candidate right. <laughs> it just never made any sense to me and I was just like really like but me sitting there working for the same goal across the table with somebody and I had to really look at look at myself where I was like perpetuating the same the same kind of violence on other people because I was so angry. And I mean I have I have one or two friends that I love and adore from the Dems 
that I would have people of color because they're white. And it all came from that trauma. But allowing folks to get close to me was so hard. And even to this day, it's just, it's like, are you a cop? <laughs> are you an aunt? Like, what do you want? <laughs> why, why are you asking so many questions? Because um, unless I see you standing, like I was, like I was kind of telling Nathaniel the other day, unless you're standing at a scrimmage line with me mm-hmm. in front of these cops, like I don't know if you're down. But not necessarily everybody has to be at the scrimmage line. It's just I know some folks that would want to be at the scrimmage line. That's no fault with those folks. But there are people that don't even think about that being a thing, that won't even respect folks, you know. And so I'm talking in tangents, but yeah, I just get really happy to have found, like, to have been brought into the massive space. And it's just taken off so much pressure because I'm not, I'm not a spokesperson for all immigrants. I'm not a spokesperson for all Mexicans or all undocumented people. And not all undocumented people are Latinx or Mexican or Chicano, like, predominantly a lot of the folks that have been deported um, recently went to Jamaica. Right. Right. And a lot of the folks that are being deported are black folks. Um, Arriba Las Vegas Worker Center, half of the bonds that they've they've posted for immigration have been black folks. Mm -hmm. And so... It's a it's a systemic issue and it's a racist issue and it, it, it has been politicized by the Democratic Party as a xenophobic issue, saying Latinx people only care about immigration, but that's not even the truth because even in my own community, they don't even understand folks like me or my family who aren't TPS people who don't have a visa who, you know, who came here from Mexico. They don't get it. They don't understand why somebody would walk through the desert and get lost. And still want to be here. Like, I mean, I remember working for the Demo- the Dems and I was just like, oh, look, I can't come in. My friend got stabbed. And they're just like, why? Like, they made such a big deal. And I know that it sounds, it's like, it is traumatic, but also like in our spaces, it's like, yeah, go take care of your business. It's not that it happens every day, but it, it honestly, the violence happens every day. Yeah. And so it's like normalized, but also it made me realize like the two different worlds that we live in because they live in a whole different other world, <laughs> whole uh, other world life and there's white life. Yeah. Wow. Like <laughs> some people I'm already live like in the... communities that are abolitionist and where the police don't, mm-hmm. you know, exist. It's mm-hmm. the suburbs, it's Summerlin. It's, it's places where there are resources and everything that folks need. So they're already they're already living in that like alternate part of that alternate world that we want to see. I mean, they're mm-hmm. not sma- they're not smashing capitalism or like upholding the natural world, but they don't have to deal with cops killing them um, or dismantling anything. Or dismantling. Yeah, or coming and knocking on their door for nothing, like or just coming up behind them to scan their plates. Like they're not afraid when cops pull up. They call the cops to pull up. Mm-hmm. They party with the cops. That's their privilege. 
I want to thank you so much for coming on our show. We kind of have to yeah. uh, wrap this up. Um, so we had you for an hour, uh, almost an hour. But um, what, is there anything you would like to plug? I know you mentioned coming up to the north. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yes. So Mass Liberation and a few other folks um, will be up north um, helping to do some in-person lobbying and as well as, you know, making our voices heard. Uh, so if anybody's interested in doing some of that and going up to Carson City, definitely hit us up. It's going to be May 16th through the 18th. Um, and we're also, you know, working right now on in, on virtual lobbying. So if you want to learn how to talk to your legislator, would like a chance to talk to a legislator um, through, like, MassLib, we're also ske- helping people schedule those out. Um, if and you're really listening, do it. Right. <laughs> you, yes. must. Like, you must. You must schedule. Is... <laughs> yes, you must schedule. Or, hit else. Up <laughs> or else I get sad. I don't want to be sad. I, it's more fun when I'm at work and I hear Yesenia and stuff. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Thank you. You really hype me up. You really hype me up. <laughs> like, Thank ooh, you. There's Kaylee. Oh, yeah. Go on, Anne-Marie. Woohoo! But literally, literally if we don't schedule though, we can't we can't be seen. Uh, no, that's not true. So you, every you legislator us. has a pass. So there's uh, they have a pass for the day. They have to make an appointment. But then once you have the okay. appointment, then you have a pass for the whole day. So just because you got one doesn't mean okay. you can't come by all the offices. So I have two pet peeves. What do we call lobbying besides lobbying? I think like, it's what is called that? being a, a productive what can member black of people society. Call lobby? Right. Can we just call it talking? And why does there have well, to be a we... special way to talk to your legislator? That's what I, well, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah. I, like, talked to mine, and I'm like, am I lobbying? Because that's against the rules at work. And I'm like, I, mean... I can't talk to the girl. She lives, she's my representative. I just and happen to see her being. and talk to her about some, they mm-hmm. need help. They need ideas. <laughs> like, let's all just re- be open to the yeah. possibility that maybe one person needs some input from the people they're I representing. Mean... I mean, at this point, some of these people need accountability meetings. You Say know, that. like how do we set that? This, up? That's what they should Let's be. I would right? like to make a BDR where if you've been <laughs> caught and publicized and on the record been a foaming at the mouth racist, you cannot mm. run. Imagine that. <laughs> I think that would that would oh, like, be a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> yes can we start with you there's know some couple. of the assembly people i've called racist on record there's a, there's um, several in there right now <laughs> like, so excited for work tomorrow now you guys are getting me all excited <laughs> <laughs> well I mean, like, it's time to burn some stuff down because the thing is nevada politics is. are all about the way that things look it's all about what we call apariencias or appearances okay and right. so these folks are doing backroom deals walking down the hallway talking to yeah. people that they shouldn't be talking to and letting them amend bills that they have no need putting their noses in and a lot of them don't live here at all nobody Ooh. lives here just so you know <laughs> uh. I, but I think your point about appearances though is really is going to be really important if we're not, if we're not going to be bold or maybe even like piss some people off or like make them mad. Um, 
then we're not going to get like all the things that we want from our legislators. Mm -hmm. We really have to, we have to remind them that like we sent them there and we'll obstruct, we'll make your life hard if you don't do what we want, what we tell you, what we need you to do. But, um, right. Like whose house is it? It's our house. We paid for it. Yeah. Go and get something out of the fridge, guys. Like, make yourselves at home. Yeah. It's very weird. We were talking about, like, why can't they be, like, parliament or something? Like, nobody could even yell. They're all just the niceties or sickening. Such decorum. Yeah. Like, we're all just going to be very nice, and that's how we're going to solve the problem. We'll just talk behind each other's backs and... That's why I didn't get hired for the legislature. Do TikToks. They're like, Yusonia can't be passive-aggressive. No, we can't hire her. Oh, I don't so know if that's it at all. <laughs> wow. There's, there's all I'm sorts kidding. of stuff. Yeah, I think it's it's been weird because you're... Uh, now we're just now seeing other people, so you see how it would be way yes. more covert where we've just seen the bare bones of what it is this whole time, and I can't wait for 33 more days until I can talk all about it, but I really cannot talk about that. Look forward to that episode. <laughs> yes, look forward to that episode where I trash the entire experience. <laughs> Look, I waited to until I waited until after November fourth. Okay, I got you. I know. I understand. You. You or like November twenty fourth when they finally finish. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Nevada. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It was so nice to talk to you, and we'll t- we'll see you tomorrow at the meeting. Yes, I'll see y'all tomorrow. Don't forget massive Mondays. Six to eight. We really appreciate you, Yesenia. And thanks for repping Mass Lib. And I'm sure the North can't wait to have you up here. We can't wait. <laughs> I'm so excited. All right. Let's do this. I'm excited. We got to talk tomorrow for sure about uh, some of the Northern stuff. Sounds good. Absolutely. Yay! Love y'all. Love you, everyone. You are listening to KWNK 97.7 Mass Lib Radio. I'm Lily. And I'm Kaylee. I'm Nathaniel. Glad to be with y'all. We'll do this again. (laughs) Take care.